Welcome to episode 56 of Paper Talk, a monthly series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the field of hand paper making and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, a hand paper making studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat and Paper Making Masterclasses here in the studio and I teach online classes about paper, light, and books. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. Today I'm talking with Sarah Breyer, an American living in Kyoto, Japan. I met Sarah back in the 1990s when she would come to make work at Dudone Paper Mill, a hand paper making studio in New York City where I was working. Sarah talks about how she traveled to Japan after studying art at Connecticut College and ended up making Kyoto her home. She works in printmaking and papermaking, and we discuss her early interest in Japanese-covered door panels called fusuma. She ended up discovering Imadate Echizen, where they make these panels, and she has been creating her own large-scale poured paper images there since 1986, and is the only Western artist to do so. It was fascinating to hear Sarah talk about the nuances between working with Eastern and Western papermaking fibers. She talks about their personalities, as well as their unique voices. Enjoy our conversation. Well, Sarah Breyer, welcome to Paper Talk. Thank you, Helen. Glad yeah, to be here. It's so cool to be here in Kyoto in your studio, and we have a little construction going on in the background. Um, but I'd love to hear about your childhood briefly. Where did you grow up and was it artistic? Yeah, I, I grew up in Rochester, New York. Okay. Um, I'm the oldest of five children Ah. and my mother was very involved in the arts. Uh, so from a young age, she would, uh, incorporate me into her artistic projects, which included making Christmas cards or, you know, um, Going around to going to the art museum. Uh-huh. She worked there as a docent. Okay. Um, so I, I was pretty comfortable uh, around art mm-hmm. and started actually taking. Um, I took a painting course when I was seven at the museum. Oh. A kids' course. Yeah. 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 And then eventually that uh, went into ceramics. I, I was really taken with ceramics for a long time. And then uh, through high school, I got into photography and painting, drawing, and then was an art major. And where did you go to college? I went to Connecticut College. Okay. Uh, A liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, I specifically decided I wanted liberal arts and not an art school. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a good choice. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I did the same. Although I didn't have any vision, my parents just said, you were going to a liberal arts college. Oh, interesting. And I wanted to study art, so I studied art at a liberal arts college hmm. in Tennessee. Okay, so did you have a focus there? Yeah, so initially I took, you know, as much as I could in all different areas. Mm-hmm. But by the time um, I was a junior... I had decided to shift away from ceramics and more into two-dimensional work because my clay work was getting flatter and flatter. Mm. They were like surfaces to draw on. Mm. 
And then uh, when I was a junior, I spent a semester in London. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when I actually began etching. Oh, okay. Uh, I learned how to etch on ceramics, Uh which was interesting. There was a teacher who taught um, kind of a production ceramic technique where you etched a plate, printed the plate using oxides Uh and oil, Uh made a print on transfer paper, and then transferred it to ceramics. Oh, no. So that, although I was not that interested in that technique for ceramics, I was interested in plate making. Yeah. And so after I left the program and went back for my senior year at Connecticut College, I decided to focus on printmaking and especially etching. Okay. And so they had courses in that. Yeah. 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 So that was really my, you know... um, I guess that was the beginning of of printmaking, really. I mean, I had done a little bit of woodblock printing or uh, linoleum cuts or things like that, you know, random art courses before that. Right. Well, I'm just curious, going back to your childhood, whether uh, any of your other siblings gravitated toward art. Uh, I have a sister who's an architect. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, okay, and then how did you discover paper? was through printmaking? Yeah, so printmaking opened the door to printing on unusual papers as a support. And then um, I, you know, I had seen Japanese paper mm-hmm. um, as wrapping paper with characters on it. I thought it was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then I, I tried painting on plain washi. Mm-hmm. Japanese paper with watercolor and found it very frustrating. Mm. Uh, however, printing on it was a different matter, oh. and you could get beautiful prints uh, if you knew how to control the ink viscosity. Right. So eventually, um, I did start doing some printmaking and gravitated away from the Western rag papers into experimenting with different handmade Japanese papers and. Was this in college still or after? That was more after, yeah. And so where were you doing your printmaking? So I graduated from college Mm -hmm. in uh, May, and then I went to Japan in November the same year. Uh And what year was that? 1979. Okay. So this was after I had spent half a year in London, and I really liked the experience of living in another culture, mm-hmm. having a lot of freedom, mm-hmm. you know, going around on my own and exploring the city, mm-hmm. museums, culture, things like that. So I had, I definitely had itchy feet. I was yeah. ready to go somewhere yeah. else. So the opportunity to go to Japan um, came up. I, I came over with a friend who was intent on studying ceramics. Uh-huh. And so I had this idea of, well, maybe I can do something with my printmaking in Japan. Okay. But we were not very organized, and that was the extent of the the, the plan. planning. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And so what happened? So um, got to Japan. Um, in those days, you could buy a one-way ticket. Oh, okay. I didn't think that that had any meeting at the time, but uh, <laughs> I had a one-way ticket and $1,000, uh-huh. a backpack. Uh-huh. And the plan was to go hitchhiking around Japan and uh, see what we could see. That was how we were going to start out. And when we got 
um, off the plane in Tokyo and went outside the city a bit and tried to hitchhike. Um, well, hitchhiking was not really known in Japan. Uh. And what would happen was you'd get picked up and people would take you where you wanted to go. So it was it was a bit more of a commitment than, mm-hmm. you know, sort of just going. Wandering. Wandering, uh-huh. yeah. So eventually, um, after not much hitchhiking, we ended up in Kyoto. And that seemed like a really great place. There was a lot going on. It was, you know, the cultural center of Japan. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was a place that you could settle, you, you could rent an apartment and be part of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of the next step, was to actually have a place to, yeah, a place to sleep. Right. <laughs> a place, an address. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. And so, uh, and so then you started printmaking. Yeah, so then, then I... Um, you know, I I had brought over a book with me about on Japanese modern prints, and in the book was a particular artist that I was attracted to the work of, mm-hmm. uh, Tanaka Ryohei. And I went to his gallery in Kyoto, and I asked the owner, uh, could I meet him mm-hmm. somehow? And the man at the gallery gave me his phone number, and I called up and somehow managed to communicate that I wanted to meet him. <laughs> Uh, through him, I met a community of um, other printmaking artists uh-huh. and joined a group in Kyoto called the Kyoto Etching Group. Oh, okay. And that didn't happen right away, but within the first year or two. Mm-hmm. But initially, what what really uh, helped me on my way was learning, um, well, actually, yeah, learning a lot from other um American and European artists who were living in Japan. How were they doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, and at that time, I realized that um, I could extend my stay if I had uh, employment, right? As an English teacher at night. Okay. And um, you know, was given some English jobs from a friend who was going back to the states. She uh-huh. had already procured a number of lessons and so she gave them to me and so I was in this position where I had a place to live a place to do printmaking my days free and I could teach um three or four nights a week and that was enough money to live on okay so I felt like wow that this was really a blessing Yeah. yeah you know I had just a lot of time to explore and of course daylight hours to do yeah, you know, to do your work. Do my work. And so the Kyoto Etching Society mm-hmm. um, had a facility. Is that where you... No, actually you? they didn't have a facility. It was a group of printmakers. Okay. But one of the women in the group, Yoshiko Fukuda, mm-hmm. she had a studio. Mm-hmm. And people went there um, as students and worked on plates and used a communal press. Okay. And so actually some of the students were also doing oil painting. Right. But I went to do etching. Okay. And at that time, um, I knew enough about etching so that I could do my plates at home. I had a little, I had a half-mat kitchen in the apartment Uh I was staying in. And, you know, I got a tray and I got some acid and some ground and did my, I etched my plates at home. And then I would take them to her studio and print them. Yeah. Okay. 
And did you start selling work early on? It actually was fairly early mm -hmm. on. And that was something that it sort of came as a surprise, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I had assumed that probably what I would do was would was to go to graduate school and yeah. get a master's and teach. And what happened was uh, I was invited to exhibit with two other American artists in a small gallery in Kobe, and we decided to have a print show. Mm -hmm. um, so I framed up some of my etchings, and to my surprise, you know, people bought them. Oh. And so that just was, you know, another possibility. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you could make more work and sell more work and the cycle continues. Yeah. So I, oh. you know, so initially I had encouragement. Yeah. And support. Right. And this was the 80s in Japan, so mm -hmm. the economy was very very good and very mm -hmm. expansive mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know, it was a really good time to be starting out as an artist and you know, people often say to me, so you went to Japan and you fell in love and you stayed. And I always think, well, it wasn't really like that because actually it was quite difficult. In the mm -hmm. beginning, I didn't have very good language skills. Right. And, you know, I had to sort of find my way. Yeah. Yeah. And there were not a lot of obstacles. I mean, I had good support, but really what happened was I was able to transition from being a student artist to being a working artist. And that right. happened for me in Japan. Right. right. And so that being in the culture, of course, I, I did find it very stimulating and interesting. And, you know, every day was kind of an adventure. You never really knew what uh -huh. was going to happen exactly. <laughs> right. But, and, uh, and how did the visa work? Uh, initially, I had a tourist visa. Uh -huh. And the visa was good for six months. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I switched to a cultural visa. Okay. And eventually could get an artist visa. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. And then um, you did eventually fall in love. And That's right. You've been married <laughs> to a Japanese man for how many years? Uh, for about 25 years. 25 years. And you're still in Kyoto. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And so... How did you discover handmade paper? So I I knew about handmade paper when I was at Connecticut College. Huh. I remember Ted, um, Ken Tyler came oh, and okay. talked about, you know, the work that they were doing out in California. Mm -hmm. And I knew about David Hockney's paper pools. Mm -hmm. I had seen those and... I was, I mean, I loved his pool series in general. I, I really loved the etchings more than the paper mm. pools. But I knew that that was a possibility, that you could work in paper. But what really sparked my interest in working with paper in Japan was after um, coming to Kyoto, I started seeing doors, mm. the big Fusuma doors, yeah. with small designs, sometimes, you know, the the lower... Um, tenth of the paper might have a little mountain or some clouds or something, and I look at them and think, "Wow, what? Wow, that's made out of paper. Uh -huh. You know, like somebody made a stencil and poured that with paper." So that was really interesting to me. I'd never thought of it on that scale, for one thing. Right. So describe what a fusuma door is. So a fusuma door is 
a solid paper door. So unlike the shoji, which is a translucent white paper that light comes through, mm -hmm. this is a door that has a, a lattice frame and it's covered on both sides with a solid piece of paper, uh, often used as a room divider. Mm -hmm. And so one of the beauties of Fusuma is that for an artist is that you have two sides right. that you can cover with your image. And early on, um, I met an artist in Kyoto named Jack Madsen, and he had painted his Fusuma with oil paintings, and they were just spectacular. Mm -hmm. And so that combined with the paper I was seeing, I sort of put the two together in my mind and thought, well, how about making something really dramatic right. with the paper mm -hmm. itself? What about that? Because I wasn't seeing that. I was right. seeing very, you know, um, very subtle, very gentle kinds of designs, but nothing really um, contemporary or bold, dynamic. So I, I had this idea in my mind mm -hmm. about doing that. And what really um, gelled the paper for me was actually taking a trip back to New York uh -huh. in 1984. And at that time... Um, I wanted to learn about color aquatint. Okay. And so I was working in the studio of Kathy Caraccio oh, okay. in Soho. Mm -hmm. And in her print archive drawers, I was looking through the work one day, and I came across some pieces by Emma Amos, swimmers, and they were made out of handmade paper. Oh. And I had been buying and collecting papers to print on, and Kathy said to me, oh, yeah, you know, Emma made those down at Dudenay. It's just around the corner. Uh -huh. You should go down and check it out. Oh. So off I went, uh -huh. called up Dudenay, and uh, walked in and saw people making art out of paper. And something just like, like everything kind of connected. It was yeah. one of those moments of right. like, right, this is a possibility. And mm -hmm. I'm in Japan, and this mm -hmm. is what I should be doing in Japan. Oh. So I got really excited. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I did actually book a couple days at Dudenay and explored a little bit, uh, some possibilities in cotton and linen. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to Japan, uh, very revved up yeah. to find a, find a place to work, uh, uh -huh. see what I could do over there. Hey listeners, let's take a little break here and I want to tell you about The Paper Studio, my free Facebook group that has been evolving over the past several years. I'm re-energizing it in 2020 to include a monthly paper challenge. It's also a place to share what you're working on, get encouragement when you need a little push, be inspired with new ideas, tips and tricks, all having to do with paper of course. Join us by going to Facebook and searching for the group, The Paper Studio. Now back to the episode. What happened next was I went to my local paper shop, mm -hmm. uh, Takiwashi in Kyoto. And this was a place I would go to, you know, buy sheets of paper. And I liked the proprietor. He was always really friendly. We could communicate even with my fairly rusty Japanese. And mm -hmm. so I went in and said, you know, I really, I really want to find a place to, to make paper in Japan. Do you have any ideas? 
And he sort of nonchalantly says to me, well, yeah, we could, we could go to my family's place. <laughs> I said, oh, great, let's go. Uh-huh. <laughs> so off we went, and um, the factory is up in Fukui, and, uh, about two and a half hours outside of Kyoto. Okay. So we took the train up, and he was my escort, and we walked in the factory, and it was, oh, my God, it was the door factory. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really what I was imagining or kind of uh-huh. hoping for. Yeah. Did you tell him that you were interested in the Fusuma? Or? Probably, yeah. but I don't think I knew that until right. I got actually got there and oh, saw wow. and saw the you know the setup. And there were the you know the really big screens and um, you know a whole slew of craftspeople making paper, and it was just amazing. Right, and did they have artists come in there, or was that an unusual thing? No, that was an unusual thing. Uh And so out of the kindness of their heart, they really showed me the ropes Mm -hmm. and helped me get started uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I I needed a lot of assistance at the beginning. Sure. Yeah. And is this where you still go today? It's where I still go today. Okay. And so do you think this this method... That this way of working where you, you're going into different facilities. Like I know I met you at Dudonne mm-hmm. probably 25 years ago, and you would you went there for a period of years, once a year or something. And, um, yeah, I just find that interesting. Do you think that comes is more of a printmaking thing or um, where you're going to these different facilities to make your work. Right. So, um, you know, it is a curious thing. I think it, it just really just works with the, the kind of rhythm I, mm-hmm. that suits me as an artist. Mm-hmm. So when I go to a place like Dudonay or the Taki Paper Mill, um, I'm sort of mentally prepared to do a series of work. Right. And I like to work in a kind of stream of consciousness method mm-hmm. and that that means actually I I start with a plan mm-hmm. and I have something in mind and I usually do quite a bit of preparatory work mm-hmm. in terms of sketches or colors or you know I have an idea where I'm starting right but then I like to start the process and keep going with it mm-hmm. and usually uh, at the beginning, you know, I'm, I'm in familiar territory, mm-hmm. or I'm starting where I left off the, the time before. Uh-huh. But that eventually, if you keep going, will open up sure. into some new territory. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I guess I just find the parameter of working in a, a space that isn't my own. I mean, I, it's a little bit uncomfortable. There's an element of, of not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about that attracts me. If you compare it to printmaking, you know, when you make a plate, you're working in reverse. Right. You you always get a surprise when you pull the first proof. So that element is similar with paper. Mm-hmm. The paper looks really different wet than it does dry. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a whole transformation in the process. Right. 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 So I'm comfortable with that or, you know, that gives me gives me something that yeah 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 and um so yeah i remember when you would come to dudonay all of those years ago you would be 
making variable additions. Mm-hmm. Is that what you call them? Or, yeah, yeah. Um, because addition you variables, sure. addition variables, um, making one image like a print, yes, several times. But the because matrix. it's um, each one is done in handmade paper with pulp painting, I think you were doing at the time. Um, they're all a little bit different, right? So it's not quite the same as a print. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's definitely a hands-on process, right? And especially with when you pour the material, then you get the the a certain personality of the pour. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk a little bit about how yeah, just how that worked between working at Dudonay and then in Japan, and the the difference and how that dynamic kind of yeah. So actually, um, you know, the fibers are quite different. Yeah, and so. Japanese uh, traditional fibers, uh, mulberry and Mitsumata, which is in the Daphne family, mm-hmm. and Gampi, which I don't know how to translate, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're three basic uh, plant fibers that are used mm-hmm. in Japan, and they are uh, very, they have a, a kind of feathery quality. Mm-hmm. They're long, they're very pliable, uh, they're suspended. Uh, in fluid, and then they spread out. And mm-hmm. so there's a certain fluffiness um, to the Japanese fiber that's very different from Western fibers. So uh, when I work at Dudonay, I like to use the uh, natural flax mm-hmm. as a base. I think that's a really beautiful uh, color. It's sort of a brownish, you know, natural color. Yeah. And then take a very uh, overbeaten linen that holds a lot of pigment Mm -hmm. and really um, make very strong, you know, saturated color. Right. That's almost like paint, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, really, it it has a surface almost like gouache or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the, the two ways of working are, in terms of the color and the, um, I guess the punch of the design, right? Mm-hmm. The image, because mm-hmm. I am basically interested in, in images mm-hmm. um, and making a, an image that has some sort of a visual impact mm-hmm. when the viewer looks at it. Mm-hmm. So the cotton and linen and Dudonay style of working um, is stronger color, and then you also have the option of pouring outside of the rectangle, which I really like because mm-hmm. the sheet is cooched onto a felt, right. then the screen and the the um, what the frame comes off, right? And mm-hmm. and you, you have sort of a free sheet. Right. Right. You go beyond the edge. Mm-hmm. And that's very appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you still doing work at Dudone? Are you mostly Yeah, I mean it's been a few years okay. now. I'm doing more and more here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yes, <laughs> I love to work at Dudonay. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, so throughout all of these years, how have you been selling your work? Because I know you show quite often, and mm-hmm. you have gallery representation. Yes. So, I started, um, you know, after the the first initial mm-hmm. small print show in yeah. Kyoto, I learned about a larger. Um, print show in Tokyo that happens every year that is called the College Women's Association of Japan print show. Mm. 
and it has a long history of oh, maybe 65 years. And one of the really great things about that show is that it raises uh, money for scholarships for students to study mostly in Japan, but also abroad. Mm-hmm. It's a volunteer organization, and they make a beautiful catalog mm-hmm. that gets sent all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so by submitting to the show and being accepted into the show, then my work was printed in the catalog, and mm-hmm. the catalog went out to all the different print right. dealers around the world. And so that was really a great opportunity because then... Um, I had people coming to me. They were interested in the work based on the book. Wow. And so that was really fortuitous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, and that was the way that I met some of the some of the galleries that um, do carry my work. Okay. That so do you have galleries around the world? or? Yeah. Actually, most of them now are in the States. Okay. But I have had some in Europe and Hong Kong and, and Japan. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how are you? Um, how are you making your work to feed the galleries? I guess you know. Do you do certain series for certain galleries, or do you do your work and then? Yeah, I mean, I try as much as possible to follow my own mm-hmm. instinct and follow my heart, mm-hmm. and um, you know, keep the work growing. Mm-hmm. So what what keeps me really interested in the medium is just the the wide range that the material offers and yeah. in terms of a way to express. I mean, I just really love what you can do with paper. I think it has a very unique voice. Yeah. And so I'm always interested in finding like well, what is the next thing and what what haven't I tried yet, you know, that that keeps it really interesting. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm very interested in light mm-hmm. and, uh, have been adding phosphorescence to the work. And mm-hmm. so I have a series called luminosity and, um, I think, you know, it's, I mean, I guess you could say I'm sort of known for that in some way. Uh, people do know the series now, but, um, it didn't start out as a series that I was making for a particular, you know, gallery. It just was uh-huh. my own interest. Right. Well, that's that's great that you can just follow your interest. Um, yeah. Do you have a video of some of that? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. And is that on your website? Yes. So we'll link to that. And there's a beautiful piece hanging in your living room yeah. that I... <laughs> love um so hopefully that's on your website too what's the name of that piece uh that's called misty crescent moon misty crescent moon okay right um and what are you working on right now are you still in that series i'm i'm working on a series now called indra's net Mm -hmm. and uh it's a series about the night sky Mm-hmm. And about the connections between um, phenomena, mm-hmm. so it it sort of goes into like very vast space and also into very small formations, like almost microscopic. So I'm just really interested in um, 
how those two things link yeah in terms of ideas and then also i've been working with the fiber in a way that um is kind of more linear than mm-hmm. what i've done in the past usually i work a lot with washes or layering uh, and this is more of a um linear application where i take the fiber and pull it apart and then draw with it and then embed that back into the wet paper so i'm doing sort of a combination of a wash and then a a more delineated line and that line has the phosphorescence in it and right. depending on how um concentrated the phosphorescent is in each part of the fiber it the glow varies so it's right. a varied line right and so this is the just the cooked kozo is it kozo yes it's fiber kozo. yeah that hasn't been beaten that you're using as yes. a drawing material the yes. line yeah 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 these are fascinating pieces and um i'm sitting around looking at some of them um <laughs> we're surrounded <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you have this deep blue color what is is that indigo or is it pigment it's actually pigment, pigment. Mm-hmm. um i do use indigo uh as a surface application mhm but i found that it's very difficult to actually dye kozo mulberry fiber with indigo and get a shade that's darker than a light blue ah so okay. i've tried it many uh-huh. many times with many dips uh-huh. uh-huh um yeah and um i know you produced a monograph recently yes i did tell me about that yeah so i um I wanted to make a book of all my prints, mm-hmm. all my editions. Mm-hmm. So that would include the etchings, some wood blocks, lithographs, and the paper editions that you mm-hmm. spoke of earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just wanted to put everything together. And, yeah. You know, it was a great opportunity to go through my work and, um, you know, just organize and yeah. revisit things and, and then um i decided to do it from the more recent work mm-hmm. back as uh-huh. opposed to from the early work uh-huh. forward uh-huh. and um that just seemed more natural to me mm-hmm. yeah i and i think um i don't know since i turned 50 a few years ago i feel like i'm still looking forward all the time but looking back and reflecting back you just make all of these connections. Yeah, and that's really right. You can see how one thing led to the next and wonderful, yeah. Um and you're so this what's the name of the book? Uh the book is called Cerebrare the, the Complete, Complete Prince. Prince. Yeah. yeah. And it's um it's a you can look at it online, correct? Yes. You can download yes, a, P- a free, PDF. Free download. But then there's also a beautiful book that you can purchase. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. So it's kind of an archive as well. Well, thank you for coming on Paper Talk, Sarah. Oh, my it's pleasure. It's been wonderful talking it's to you. It's great to have you here, Helen. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? 
sign up at helenhebertstudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can sign up at helenhebertstudio.com to receive my e-newsletter. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed it, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps other people find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Paper Talk, where you can find out more about them, subscribe to the series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. I'll talk to you soon. Besides the season.